Hello, and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Wabo's most tattooed work, five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And uh, we're talking about 6.x histories here, the interlude for Arc 6. And it starts as a direct continuation of, of the first interlude. Um, <laughs> so the first interlude was Rose Senior's Granny Rose's interlude, uh, and that ended with her sleeping with Amon Baham. And this interlude picks up from Amon's perspective, um, waking up after that very same sleeping with uh, session, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I love, I love how that's like revealed to us uh like obviously we've talked a lot about how pact just invites you to reread bits and i feel like this chapter kind of forces you to go back and restart it after like a couple hundred words in because you're sort of reading it and there's all this stuff about oh what have we done and we were animals and blah 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 and for a yeah. sec for a second i in- i was interpreting that literally like they they had transformed into animals since that's something we have seen people do <laughs> finally that vic and lacy interlude we've all been waiting for <laughs> um and then you're sort of like, there's the moment where it's like, oh, this is Eamon. And then you're like, oh, oh, so it's going to be Rose. And so then I immediately had to jump back and, and reread yeah. everything I'd read uh, so far. Because you kind of go yeah, full and- circle. You're like, oh, like, what is this terrible thing this unknown person has done to? Oh, it's just yeah. Eamon. He just slept with Rose. And then like half a second after that, you're sort of like, oh, man, oh. <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the thing I like about it is he, he wakes up and he looks and she's sitting there having written like and he notices that she's just been writing in her journal which mm. obviously is is what we read 1.x ended which is awesome um yeah this I, and and i don't think it's like super relevant or whatever this is a direct continuation of that other interlude but i don't know if we've seen any of interludes directly leading into each other like this before it's just very cool it's just kind of it really gets you in the mindset of like, oh, okay, I know exactly what we're jumping back into. And you've got kind of Rose's characterization in your head now. And it, it kind of flows mm. very nicely. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I actually went right back after I reread the start of 6.x. I then went and reread the end of 1.x. Uh, and so I <laughs> yeah, think- me too. Uh, it, even if you don't go through and reread that, you are conjuring up all the images you had of those scenes from back then and thus Rose's character. And, and so, like you said, it-, it immediately sort of puts you in the mindset of remembering everything that had been established about Rose Senior, which I think is important. Yeah. Um, something we haven't touched on yet or that much is how so many of these interludes, they're called histories, right? Um, and, and they're talking about basically the, the, the relatives or the ancestors of characters in the main story. Um, mm. It's so, it's such a great idea because the story does seem to revolve so much around legacy and and inheritance and and stuff like that and and kind of very explicitly through the last two interludes which were fell's uh, ancestors and obviously rose and amon in this one it's it's just such a cool way of kind of like seeding the inciting events or the background for for what we see in the current story it's just like yeah it's very cool it's a very cool style of interlude yeah, I mean, we've essentially had the two types so far. We've had pages, which are basically just like world building um, chapters that Excerpts Wobbo, from books, yeah. which Wobbo still manages to fit little character bits into most of them. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then yeah, we we have all these history ones, and I think like the story revolves so much around like all these legacies and and dynasties um and, and families and stuff that it makes sense that the ancestors would have such a big impact on on what's going on now and i mean we get a lot we'll have a lot to talk about there at the end of this but uh yeah i, I mean maybe i'm reaching a bit but like we've we've seen all these others who get generations confused and i feel like it's mm. it's tying into that whole aspect like this is an old world uh and this is very much a a world where we're constantly talking about rules that have existed for thousands of years. We're dealing with things like Isadora that have existed for thousands of years. And, and yeah. so, of course, it's not just going to be, you know, Blake and his three weeks of practicing that matter uh, to the story. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I can understand. Well, I can kind of understand how others get generations confused. But I don't know why how anyone could get Eamon and Laird confused. Eamon seems so chill and Laird has no chill. Um, anyway, <laughs> so uh, let's let's talk about the specifics of this chapter, shall we? Um, yeah. So Eamon immediately is regretting this this tryst. Uh, <laughs> he, he's obviously suffering under a lot of pressure from his family and, and kind of being forced to, to march in line. The toy soldier metaphor is thrown out a few times, and I think that's quite appropriate. Um mm. And and Rose is kind of mercilessly mocking him about this, I suppose. 
yeah yeah she's really cool about it uh no it's funny like this this whole thing about like how miserable his family is and and stuff like it's just practicing is just a miserable time for the whole family yeah uh like, yeah. we've never met a group of practitioners is happy you've, you've really gotta when people like fell mention all that stuff about how ignorance is bliss in, in terms of practicing it's getting harder and harder to not believe that that is almost universally the case yeah, it, it kind of gives me this vibe of, like, starting a family business and having the tensions of the business impact the dynamic of your family, you know, where it's like, you can't just be a happy family anymore. You all have to be pursuing ulterior goals together and, and it makes everyone weird and accountable and there's all these, like, it just adds a whole new kind of layer of relationship to uh, to your family dynamic, which, I don't know, maybe is a good idea for some families, but mm. leads to a lot of tension. Yeah, well, but also practicing comes with all the extra tensions and hurdles uh, oh, that, yeah, that go totally. along with it. Um, <laughs> and especially, yeah. uh, you know, as we'll see here, lots of these systems are entrenched by the need to swear oaths, which is obviously yeah. very binding uh, in the world of pact. Yeah, as soon as one person says, and this, you must swear all your children and their children to this oath, that oath just lasts forever, and it's just a permanent part of that family now. And yeah. so you can kind of see that they trickle into these i don't know into these like perpetuating systems um and we're going to be talking a lot about perpetuating systems this chapter <laughs> i think um yeah so rose is basically being such a shit stirrer to Eamon here um and it's so endearing i don't know <laughs> yeah. like obviously we meet rose in the very first chapter and she is like from blake's point of view and and kind of correctly a bit of a horrible person right yeah um, yeah but the two interludes we've had involving a younger Rose, she's so, like, <laughs> she seems very fun. She's, like, a shit-stirrer. She's obviously kind of struggling a bit with n knowing the difference between right and wrong, but she seems to land on, you know, the side of right most of the time. And <laughs> she's just, she's a really interesting character. And it's it's interesting. I wonder how Blake would see this version of her if he ever gets a chance to kind of realise this is what she was like. I think Blake has demonstrated that his Rose empathy skills in general, uh, in, including all Roses, are kind of lacking. Um, so, but uh, <laughs> yeah. like, it jokes aside, um, I, I think I, I'm very interested to see more of the middle. Um, like mm. we we obviously we've we're seeing this young and, and almost idealistic Rose uh, in, in these interludes when she was you know like a teenager and and right up to like middle age, and then obviously yeah she was like an old like bitter asshole. Uh, at the yeah. end and like you know was that an act or uh, i didn't get the impression it was like so it's like how much how much of that was the world grinding her down and like how did she end up like that like uh, i'm very fascinated to to kind of get some more glimpses of the middle of her journey uh I, I yeah i i think i i can't i don't think it's an act or maybe it is an act because there is that one bit where blake calls her whatever it is like a rancid festering cunt or something like that hmm. and and she kind of, like, has this reaction to it that's almost a bit of, like, a, a twinkle in her eye kind of yeah. thing. Um, which makes me think it is an act. I don't know. Um, I, I think... I don't know. I, 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 don't think, I don't think it was that much. <laughs> Maybe not fully an act, I think, is fair. I, like, um, I think it's fair to say that this young Rose here, like, you know, she's, she admits that part of why she's riling up Eamon so much is because she prefers the, like, angry... Uh, version of Eamon to the to the whingy one and like you know, yeah so that's what sure. she saw in Blake when he started offending her in that way is like he had spirit I guess yeah fair enough um yeah honestly Blake and and young Granny Rose are similar in a lot of ways especially their kind of attitude towards diabolism seems to be basically they have the exact same thought about it where it's kind of terrible and they want to try and restrict the impact that it has on the world and and a lot of these things that that we've kind of been thinking about since Black Lamb's Blood, it seems that Rose is pretty aligned with. Well, I mean, we did we did know that Rose knew and liked the author of Black Lamb's yeah. Blood, so uh, that does make sense. I um, Yeah, I, I guess I'm jumping ahead in my notes a bit here, but yeah, I was definitely, I've just written here that uh, like Rose in this chapter, or Granny Rose, was giving me big Blake vibes for most of this chapter. Yeah. Not this opening bit. Yeah. I actually, she made, she was making me think of um, Miro's, which is a term I haven't used yeah, for a while, totally. but uh, <laughs> is, is, um, is having to come out again. So, like, she felt like Miro's for the first bit of this chapter, and then I think from everything from the post office on, she was reminding me of Blake, which, you know, yeah. obviously those two are similar, so that's, that's a, 
a bit of a weird distinction to make which one she's reminding me of but um anyway yeah back back to the chapter so Eamon and rose have just slept together and uh Eamon's just yep. realized that ass pint was watching which is still still funny <laughs> five arcs later yeah a classic um yeah so Eamon and rose kind of uh, bond and and they initially kind of bond over how they're both under the thumb of their respective families, but they they definitely past that seem to have chemistry, right? Like you know they kind of needle each other a bit, but Rose obviously seems to take a liking to Eamon, and Eamon seems to at least conceptually like Rose. <laughs> I think yeah, he begrudgingly starts to like her. Um, I, I like how they managed to bond over these family issues despite them coming from very different places. Like, Eamon's being suffocated by his family, whereas yep. Rose has been abandoned by hers is essentially how they both feel. Um, yeah. But they're they're in a good enough place that they can sort of realise that that's causing them to have the same problems. Like, it would have been yeah. very easy for this to turn into a fight where it's like, you know, well, you know, you, oh, poor you, your family, like, loves you too much type thing. Um but they're mm. both just like, man, this sucks both ways, huh? It, you know what's just occurred to me is the idea of Rose being a- abandoned by her parents. This story has taught me that if parents abandon a child, it's probably to try and get them out of some terrible contract that they've made. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe Rose's parents are being very loving to her by trying to be horrible to her, you know? Well, that's something, know. that's something Eamon points out later. I think, I think we'll get there in a bit. I, I wrote a bunch about that later. Oh, right. Yes. Um, uh, so, yeah, Eamon and Rose obviously kind of bond. Uh, Eamon, he's kind of got this, like, noble, honourable, trying to do what's right kind of vibe, although he's kind of stuffy and a bit proper, <laughs> um, where Rose is a bit of a a bit of a prankster kind of pestering him. But they, they both end up vulnerable enough with each other to, to you know, genuinely conf- confide in each other. Yeah. I mean, yeah, in some ways she does actually feel like a little devil on his shoulder. Um, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I quite like just this whole scene and the way it sort of inverts like that classic sort of Jane Austen-esque old-timey mm. romance thing. Like, I know, obviously, this is World War Two, and that's not Jane Austen times, but uh, <laughs> like a- Eamon, Eamon being like the one who's blushing and is like, please stop, that's too lewd. And, and Rose being the one who's, <laughs> who's in control and just like shit stirring him uh, is, is just really fun and really fits in with what we know you know, of Rose beforehand and, and Eamon now and also like the positions they both have in the world. Like she's the Diabolus, so of course she's the one who's doing the shit stirring and um, Yeah, who's breaking the rules. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um yeah. No, it's it's the 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 ability of this interlude to make us just completely be like on board with these characters. <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to use the word shipping because it's not quite that, but it is just like <laughs> they're both so endearing um in this interlude and you know these are characters we don't see a lot of and (laughs) you know they're not relevant but uh, i mean you know they're not they're not directly in the story they're obviously quite relevant to the story yeah um i don't know it's just it's so it's such efficient characterization that we're just so Mm. on board with them (laughs) yeah like uh, there's uh, i think there's one specific quote where uh, Eamon says to Rose, like, would you stop arguing every question or statement I make? Like, you make being kind of a challenge, which is just that sort of, <laughs> you know, you are what you practice uh, mm. type thing coming up. <sighs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'm very, I just like, I, I love these characters. They're great. Um, so the next thing that happens is we jump forward four days and uh, Rose visits Eamon at the post office where he works to, to mail a letter. Um, yeah, and I mean, it really opens with a whole bunch of stuff basically describing how shit Eamon thinks his life is. Um, yeah. Like, he's a fit young man um, back at home during the war, which was obviously something people were pretty unimpressed with uh, back then. Yeah. Uh, and he's running he's running the post office, which, of course, he, he really hates for a number <laughs> of reasons. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. he's just, he's in a real bad spot uh, right now. Yeah. I love the idea of him running the post office and he's just so unhappy with it. Um, he's he he's bored by it. He's terrible at numbers. He hates kind of working with numbers, which is hilarious. Um, and he's kind of thought about using the power of the family to speed up his workday, which is a very kind of human thing to think about, I think. Um, and the detail about how he's terrible at numbers, I think, is awesome because it adds this seed of humanity, but also, like, he's he doesn't quite fit what you'd expect as a standard behave. He's not just... A behame, he's you know a, a person. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, a big theme in this interlude is like, you know, fighting the system or, or escaping the system or, or and that sort yep. of thing. And, and obviously, like, I think Eamon being bad at numbers so, uh, as a character trait so encapsulates that idea. Like, he's a. He's going so much against his natural abilities to be a crowman. Yeah, exactly. Like he, he's bad at numbers, and so he's just sort of had to be forced into getting good at them to to fulfill yeah. his destiny, basically. Um, it, yeah, that's great. And I mean, obviously, you know, we we we've had Sandra's interlude and stuff like that's not a uniquely Baham or, or even Aemon Baham uh, problem. Yeah. Uh, but it's I, I just love it as an extra detail to sort of really get you in that sense of like Aemon is flogging himself to try and fit the the path his family has laid out for him yeah um and so rose kind of has been thinking about this since their fling she wants to break the wheel uh, <laughs> as it were which is a which is obviously a big theme in 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 pact so far um basically every interlude we've had has been people trying to desperately escape the confines of what fate has forced upon them um yeah yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, she basically opens this pitch as well with, um, uh, you know, we're bound to old systems, degrading, winding down like an unwound clock, which is, you know, mm. very tactically phrased. You bring very in, on point, yeah. Bringing in the clock imagery already, Rose, like she's not beating around the bush. Um, Got to make it relatable for the bands. <laughs> uh, no, but you're right. There's definitely been a recurring theme uh, in a lot of these interludes is... Uh, how these systems are designed to sort of trap you in them and people are trying to yeah. find ways out. Yeah, and the tragic part about about it for me is the systems either explicitly or implicitly force people to perpetuate them, yeah. right? So, obviously, with Fell's family, it's pretty explicit where you have to make your children swear an oath to serve conquest. But, you know, with, with the Duchamps and with the Bahames, it just kind of happens that that by the time they're in a position where they could make make a change, they don't, and that obviously comes up <laughs> later later on in this chapter. Yeah, I think I think it's you know partially a case of people getting beaten or broken in by the system. If you've been in it long enough, the idea of the change yeah. can be scarier uh, than when you're new and, and being confronted with its limitations for the first time. But um, I I I just wanted to pull out another quote uh from Rose's uh pitch, I guess to mm. to Eamon. um. <clears throat> where she says, uh, "I'm telling you that in my eyes, you lived a disappointed. Ex- uh, so you live a disappointed existence, a responsible one. But responsibility doesn't nourish the soul, does it? And um, obviously, we talked about how we went and reread one one X, and like this yep. so perfectly combines with what Rosa's finishing statements were in one point X, like all about mini yeah. and, and how you want your life to mean something. Like this, it's very consistent with uh." What we saw in 1.x, which I love. Um, also, Eamon has a couple of lines where he says he doesn't like thinking about the future too much. Which again, it's just what a shit chronomancer. Like, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure he ends up being pretty good at it, but he's just there's no natural inclination whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's you're right. So obviously, one of the big things from 1.x was she wants to kind of leave her mark on the world. She wants to be. She wants to make a change, and it's it's like. Or specifically, she doesn't want to die without having done anything, right? Mm, mm. Um, she wants to have an impact. Which is, uh, I don't think we called it out at the time, but this is the exact thing Blake was thinking about in, I think it was Arc 4, right? When he's yeah. thinking about this contest and, and wanting to not <laughs> not die without doing something, you know? Even, I think we joked that it kind of sounded like he was going to do something terrible. Mm. Um uh, no, you're right. Again, we we we've touched on this. There's there's mad Blake vibes uh, coming out of Rose, <laughs> yeah, or or, right. yeah. or Blake is giving off mad Rose Senior vibes, I guess, depending on your perspective. Yeah. Uh, but it, yeah, there's there's so mi- there's so much that Rose Senior says in this whole post office bit where you're just like, oh, that sounds like Blake. Yeah, yeah, um, which is really great, like characterization of Rose that mm. they are so similar. It's yeah, it's awesome. Um, so Rose is talking about breaking the wheel. She kind of wants to start a revolution, but she doesn't really know how. She doesn't really know what that looks like. I don't think. Um, but she's not already she doing of, it. Like she, she doesn't have the plan, but she's also not actually doing it, which isn't very Blake. <laughs> True. Um, so I want to pull out this quote that that kind of sums this up, where Rose says to Eamon, "I'm suggesting that we could gamble, strive to change the system, to put something in place and capitalize on it. How?" I'm not entirely sure, but whatever we end up doing has to be better than this, doesn't it? 
And it's so interesting to me because obviously Rose doesn't quite have an idea, but she's in this position where she doesn't, she, she, she clearly trusts Eamon enough to trust him with the idea of, I want to do something. I want to do something different. I trust you to workshop this idea with me, right? Like they clearly, she clearly sees their relationship as close enough that she can still be vulnerable with him. And I think that's, that's interesting, especially when you compare it to the, you know, Laird Blake relationship of the present. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we actually sort of talked about this a bit in 1.x, but um, in her diary, she very much gave off the chapter that this, like, weird tryst she had with Eamon, which she was writing about right after the fact, was uh, one of the first human connections she's ever really had. Like, like And that's almost even mm. including her parents. Um, and, like, like, you know, there's a bit uh, back in the, in the scene, like, you know, the morning after, uh, where she points out that they have this like big connection and, and Eamon doesn't really think much of it. And I think it's like, because it's kind of unique for her probably to have a, a solid connection with another human, um, whereas to Eamon, that's yeah. normal. Um, but wait, yeah, I mean, basically she's really latched onto this idea that things will be better if she has like someone to work with, like an ally to watch her back, like look mm. over her shoulder. Um mm. A voice over her shoulder. Yes. A reflection, if <laughs> yeah, you will. Uh, exactly. <laughs> um, no, you're right. And I think that explains why she kind of dives into it so deeply. But um, I don't know. I, I do kind of get the same vibe from Eamon here, right? Like, he he could totally kind of fuck her over in this circumstance, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, in, in more than one well, way. Well, no, she's right um, to target him because he is because fucking miserable, uh, basically. Yeah, yeah, and so I, I do, I kind of get the sense that Eamon, this is the first kind of real genuine connection he has outside of, you know, his family um, as well. And I think it makes them a great, a great uh, pair of confidants. Well, I think, I, I almost think, wait, the, the big difference for Eamon is is he's he's been defined by his family telling him what to do, whereas Rose is coming up and saying, hey, is this a good idea, um, is basically her point. Like, she's mm-hmm. coming up and suggesting they work together, and that's that's very different to the impression he has of his family, at least. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Rose tells Eamon to meet again, and uh, when they get there, she tells him she wants to possess him, with emphasis on possess. Yeah. Um, I actually like the little detail where they don't say where they're going to meet. It's just kind of assumed. Uh, cause, cause, <laughs> yes, they both Because usually know. that sort of thing bogs me. Like, I hate it in movies when people are like, oh, do you want to go out on a date? And it's like, yes, and then they hang up. It's like, you didn't say a time or a place. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but for practitioners who are so obsessed with like the poetic nature of stuff, it totally makes sense that they just know. So uh, I liked it. Yeah. Yes. Um, and Eamon's reaction to being possessed. So possessed in the <laughs> sense of literal demonic possession, um, with the plan being basically that Aim- this will allow Eamon to kind of go against his family's wishes and what. what- if slash when he gets found out, he can just be like, oh, I was yeah, possessed. Yeah, it's like a form of plausible um, deniability, basically. <laughs> exactly. Um, and Eamon's response to this is that it's a fucking bonkers yes. plan. And my response to it is that Eamon <laughs> is right and it is a fucking bonkers plan. It's like, it's wild. And maybe we've just been conditioned to not trust light possession <laughs> throughout all the other interludes and stuff. But I don't um, know. Yeah. It- yeah, I mean, Rose does genuinely seem to believe that the risk on her end is greater as the one who would be doing the possession on him. And, and she may she, she may I very well also, be right, but still. It, I think if, if they get found out and Eamon's like, oh, yeah, I was being possessed and mind-controlled yeah, by Rose. She's pretty fucked. I think that would not end well for her. No, and I think that's why like, she, she does seem to think that the risk is greater for her. Yeah. But, like, I mean, yeah, giving... Like, she says that it'll be a possession where it's, like, he will actually be in control, but others will believe that he wasn't. Like, that seems like such a fine line to me that it's, like, this is obviously mm. fucking mental. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. And and Eamon <laughs> turns her down. Um, so, uh, I want to touch again on, on how interesting Rose is here, because she kind of explicitly calls out Blake at one point, which I like. Um, or not explicitly, implicitly, uh, where she says... That she can't have any friends because, as a diabolist, if you have friends, there's just too much of a risk that bad <laughs> shit is going to trickle down to them. And and this is, like, kind of ex- calling out what Blake has has just uh, done. Yeah. yeah, it absolutely is. But, uh, 
she's so vulnerable in this scene as well. Like, like you know, talking about how she's different yeah. in, in these chapters to what we saw of her at the start of arc one. Um, like the way Eamon notes that she's like, she gets embarrassed and she, she's holding a diary. Like she, she's quite vulnerable and I don't really get yeah. the distinction she's making there. Cause, cause she, she genuinely, yeah, she genuinely seems to value his opinion and like really wants to form this connection with him. And I don't understand how that's really yeah. different to just, being friends and kind of exactly what Blake did. Like she says that there's the risk of that, but then that's essentially what ends up happening, right? Well, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so Eamon tells Rose, "Hey, you know, I can't be possessed. <laughs> hard I'm mode. sorry." Uh, and th- yeah, and and then it, the conversation. But but he says, "Hey, I'm not in any rush to leave. Let's let's keep hanging out." Um, and they start talking about World War Two. Uh, and how Eamon fought in World War Two as a practitioner. Yeah, so it turns out in Pact, it's even more horrifying to be in World War Two than it was in real life, which makes sense, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the Eamon has a war injury, which we find out is because on the battlefields of World War Two, when you're trying to kind of rescue your injured or dead comrades, sometimes that's just a, a, a zombie or a ghoul or something hiding and pretending to be a dead body and it grabs you and fucking poisons you and that's just like a thing that happens yeah no but um, it's it, it's quite nice that this little bit of a history lesson on world war Two and practitioner's role in it took place right after uh, we just did a discussion question on it that was a nice coincidence uh <laughs> yeah yes. but so interestingly like so it turns out world war Two's driving factors doesn't seem to have been practicing um that like obviously practitioners yeah. were involved so, as you would expect in like a world war uh, in particular, but uh, they weren't yeah. the driving factor to begin and maybe even end it. Yeah, well, what's fascinating about it is so you know obviously there's Hitler was into some occult stuff in real life, but Eamon confirms no Hitler wasn't a practitioner, but obviously there were practitioners on each side, and they were kind of in this cold war i guess of sorts where if one side deployed practitioner technology the other not technology <laughs> practitioner powers the other would too and it would, it would it would escalate incredibly and so the practitioners were kind of just like forced to wait and see how the muggles would resolve it so that it didn't turn you know nuclear basically. yeah i mean yeah a cold war is the perfect term for it because basically presumably both sides had access to diabolus that or diabolical things yep. that they just didn't want to use. And, I mean, you know, some stuff goes down in, in the Pacific towards the end of World War Two that makes me think maybe they didn't have a 100% success right there. But, um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, true. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. It is an interesting idea that <laughs> that, you know, practitioners were involved in the war and they couldn't, even this conflict wasn't enough for them to be able to step in because it would just be too well, make terrible. It worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, Good work on the practitioner community <laughs> for kind of having the, the guts to realise that and stay Yeah. Out. Yeah. I mean, it's just a shame they couldn't figure out how to do it helpfully. Uh, wait, 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 just help mm-hmm. out. Um, there's actually, so there's one line I, I, I wanted to pull out from this whole section, and this doesn't really have any greater meaning, but um, Rose is sort of. Russell talking, she says, sometimes you need someone to tell you you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing to bounce ideas off of. Uh, that's the way it is in the books. The Watson, the Sam, the Friday, the Horatio. Um, and so, first of all, mm. uh, like, obviously, you've got a, a Sherlock, a Robinson Crusoe, and a Hamlet reference there. But is Sam meant to be, like, Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. Sam? Is that... I mean, that's that was my interpretation oh, of it, oh, for yeah. sure. So, again, Rose is even more likable then because she's lumping Lord of the Rings in with, like, all the classics. Uh <laughs> well, actually, jeez, was Lord of the Rings even published back then? That's about when it came out, right? I don't know. Uh, it would have been, wouldn't it? Because uh, uh, Tolkien was fighting in World War Two. Uh, I'm Google. I'm, go- I'm googling History the publishing check. date. No, it was in the fi- yeah. it was in the fifties. Right. Um, so it must be something else. Okay. Oh wow. <laughs> um, well, or or. You know, token practitioner, <laughs> early copy distributed to to the yeah. To she, the is, community. she is she is friends with the chronomancer. Um, yeah, true. <laughs> One of the big things that the Hames use their power for is pulling popular fiction <laughs> from the next ten years I mean, to get an edge. I probably would. Um, but anyway, uh, anyway. Uh, yeah. So the second half to that yeah. to that quote is then. Uh, Amon says back to Rose, like you can't base real life off of books and rose responds i don't have anything else to work with which is pretty fucking tragic yeah (sighs) yeah um yeah it is it's 
I mean, you know, the, the, these characters are so isolated, um, and and that's kind of why they find mm. each other. Um, and and yeah, so Eamon says to Rose, "Hey, I won't be possessed for you, but I I can be a voice to keep you in check. At least, you know, I'll, I'll do my best, and maybe I'll have to stop doing that at some point once my family <laughs> finds out." Yeah, he basically agrees to be Rose's Rose, um, more or less. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Rose is Rose. Um, yeah, and so uh, this is where Rose touches on the thing that I kind of alluded to earlier, which is uh, where she she talks about how she's going to inherit a karmic burden from her mum and how it's going to fuck with her and, and, and this being kind of one of the big reasons that she wants to break the wheel so that her descendants and Eamon's descendants aren't stuck in the same cycle that they are. Yeah, which is interesting because hers is a bit... The Diabolus one is a little bit more literal and, like, unavoidable than just so... Like, Eamon Aim- <laughs> can break the wheel yeah. in a generation pretty easily by not holding lead to the same standards that he was held to, uh, whereas R- Rose's escape will require a bit more manoeuvring uh, to avoid the bad karma. Mm. Uh, but I love this bit where Eamon um, points out, is that why you... Is that, uh, could that be why your mother keeps her distance, giving you that freedom, protecting you from the shadow that lingers over her? And, and, like, Rose just looks at him bewildered because it's, like, clearly never occurred to her that, like, her mum might be keeping a distance to protect her, which is just the best thing ever. Yeah. And, like, it ties back a little to what we were saying about, you know, Rose Senior in her old age. Like, how much of that, how much of that, yeah. her being, her being like, you know, so cold to everyone was to protect them by stopping them from getting close to her. Yeah, I- yeah, I, I, this is what casts more doubt upon is it an act or is it not mm. an act for me. Like, she kind of explicitly realises as, you know, as Fel's dad or granddad, I don't remember, <laughs> did that, you know, distance could be a, a you know, a saving factor for these people. Um, anyway, uh, so we jump forward 35 years and Eamon and Rose are meeting again. And we get the sense that they've been kind of meeting semi-consistently since since well, they yeah, were they've young. they've been secret friends for the last 35 years from the looks of it. Yeah, um, secret BFFs. Yeah. Uh, so, essentially, yeah, what's happened is is Eamon's dad has, has passed. So now Eamon's in charge. And I couldn't help but notice throughout this entire, what I assume is actually the funeral scene, uh... There's not one line in mm. his internal monologue that even suggests he's a little bit upset that his dad has passed. Like that, that's where he ended up with his family. Yeah. Apparently, is that his dad is gone and and he's straight to business, and that doesn't seem to be an escape mechanism. That just seems to be he doesn't really care, um, which is dark. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe or maybe it's been long enough that he's come to terms with it. You're right. He does seem he doesn't. He doesn't react to it at all. Um, the only reaction he has to it, actually, is kind of thinking about how his father would be <laughs> displeased at, at him and Rose meeting. Um, and, yeah, I guess this makes sense for practitioner funerals, but Eamon's dad is there as a ghost <laughs> the whole time. And and the chapter starts with Eamon being like, oh, he looked into his dad's eyes. And and then you find out that his dad's dead. It's very weird. It's, it's a great mindfuck. Like, it's very... It's a very fun way of starting this yeah, segment. Yeah, it was a bit confusing. It takes you a while to get your head around, but, like, uh, that's on purpose, I think. Um, and obviously, yep. like, this is... So, it's like he... Because the whole section of this for Rose is, hey, you're free now. And it's funny because Eamon doesn't seem to think that. Yep. And he literally has the ghost of his father standing over him, staring him down disapprovingly. Like, <laughs> is that even a metaphor? That's, yep. like... It's, it's it's very no, I, at this point it goes beyond <laughs> metaphor i think um but you're right uh so they're they're kind of discussing hey Eamon, you're head of the family now you're free what are you gonna do and Eamon is obviously torn between looking at laird uh, who is there as a child um looking at rose and looking at the shadow slash ghost of his dad uh but Eamon tells rose okay let's do it i'm gonna I'm going to take some steps. I'm going to try and make some change. Yeah, so they basically agree to enact what they were talking about 35 years ago. Um, And this is where uh, the relationship, as we understand it, between the Thorburns and the Bahames becomes a lot more murky. Yes. uh, So the kind of conditions that Eamon sets for this are, hey, Rose, you got to teach Laird about diabolism. you got to help protect my family from this. And Rose agrees. And then Eamon kind of says... So, yeah, we, we then we kind of get this point where we're like, oh, wait, does that mean Laird is actually on Team Blake? But Eamon says uh, something along the lines of, I can't actually make promises to for your heirs to be protected from Laird. Um, and so it's kind of a bit 
unsure still whether Laird is being a kind of secret Snape or whether he's just kind of himself. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think cause it, it kind of makes sense, though, that that Rose would have to be okay with this because the whole point of this is they're going to stop these stupid systems of promising to do what your parents wanted. So, like, of course you can't just enforce yeah. stuff like that on Laird. Like, it kind of goes against the point. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, like, I I don't get the vibe that we're heading for the whole, oh, Laird was just testing Blake this whole time and actually he's on his side and this was all a contrivance to make Conquest vulnerable and he knew Blake would get through it because, like, I, 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 I don't <laughs> think that's fair. Yes. I think... I think Laird is going to have a much more interesting relationship with Diabolism that we'll learn more about, especially now that Blake has him uh, in the hyena's mouth. Um, Because obviously he's learned a bit of Diabolism, and I wonder if uh, maybe he... Maybe he made a mistake when he was doing some of it or, or, you know, just saw enough that he was like, fuck this shit. Um, So I Mm. I guess we'll see. But I feel like there's more to learn here, and it's going to make Laird and Blake's antagonism towards each other a little bit more complex uh now that we know led had a presumably yeah. fairly close relationship with rose if if she was teaching him that much yeah at least when he was younger um yeah and, and so the the chapter you know we're, we're reaching the end of the chapter now and Eamon and rose's plan as it were is just to try and not force their family to be bound to the same things that they were. Um, not necessarily bringing on change, but setting the stage so that their their heirs can, if they if they get the opportunity. It, yeah, they're effectively just taking off the training wheels. Like, uh, like all these limitations. Yeah. Their their theory is that all these limitations are there just as much to protect the system as to protect the people in it. So their hope is that without the limits, yeah. the system might break rather than the people. Um, I, I guess is the yes. plan. Uh, it's it's a bit of a Blake plan. Uh, in in that regard, um, you just kind of like throwing out all the all the dice and hoping they land on some good numbers. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because because I don't know whether or not to say this plan is working yet. Because Laird and Blake are fighting so much between themselves that like obviously that that's not great. But then also like conquest is a a glowing example of one such perpetuated system. Uh. Yeah. And he's more vulnerable than he has been in a long time, seemingly. So, uh, jury, jury's still out yeah. on the success of this, uh, I, I reckon. I think the thing that's interesting to me about this is, throughout the chapter, Eamon talks about how his he he and his family, for a few generations, really, have never been able to actually use the power that they're all paying into. Like, they, they have this huge store of power, but they just can't use it uh they're sworn by oaths to protect it and not to Mm. abuse it right um and we know laird isn't sworn to that same oath and it kind of recontextualizes i think how much big time magic has been done (laughs) against blake like the house thing uh duncan uh, some maybe laird stuff at the coffee shop duncan stuff like i don't know it, it kind of feels like the plan has actually maybe backfired a bit because now Laird is free to use slash abuse, depending <laughs> on what side of the fence you're on, um, his family's power, which is interesting. I, yeah, I, I don't think that's what Eamon had in mind. Or maybe it is. Maybe it is just giving them the freedom to make their own decisions. It, it, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. We don't know quite enough about what, what they were hoping to get out of this, but it may just be that Laird being able to waste it on his own terms is is a partial success. Um <laughs> I mean, yeah. ideally, probably not not using it on the other half of the the group that originated this idea. Um, ideally, but uh, take what yeah. you can get, I guess. Um, yeah. Also, I, just yeah. a little detail is uh, Ro- Rose Senior is holding her eldest uh, child, uh, Charles, I think. Um, who mm. I I I went and looked it up because I, I was trying to figure out whose father that was, like which of the children, and I think he he he's the one mm. that wasn't really mentioned and and is said to be a bit like insane, which. You know, given what a- Eamon is dealing with in this chapter, yep. I think makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, given what kind of Rose did to him as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Used him uh, as bait for a demon. <laughs> but but one thing I couldn't help but notice is obviously like so so Charles is 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 here and like there's no there's still no mention of the father. Like I don't think at any point in the story have we heard anything about who Rose had her children with. Yeah, and I kind of like how little that matters. Like it's so. It's so not relevant to anything about like 
Rose's plans or, or what what's happening at all in the story. So it's just it's just not even a factor, and that's so Rose as well that she has these children, but the father was presumably just a tool to generate children. Well, that's I think that's one interpretation of it. But one idea that I have, kind of reading this, is I mean we see Eamon has a wife and he has Laird, but at least at some point throughout their life they have had a sexual relationship, right? Uh, do you yeah. think that's on the table? I mean, it was something I considered. I, I don't think so. I I, I, pre- I prefer the story in my head right now of, uh, like, just this, this father that Rose was using as a tool um, mm. to make children. Cause I, and I also, like, she was... So this is 35 years later, and she's just had her eldest child, and she was already, like, what, six, 16, 17 um, yeah. in the first one. So uh, doing some quick maths, you know, she's into her 40s, which is... Like a, a bit late to start having children, so you know there mm. may have been some some uh, some magical help there. Yeah, I, don't know. I mean Rose has we didn't touch on it, but Rose has been explicitly asking Eamon for help uh, extending her life and and slowing down her, her various time factors in her life. Um, so it's not inconceivable that you know Eamon also has the ability to turn back the biological clock, as it were. Um, yeah, well, I mean it makes sense if she's if she's just started having children in her like. What, her late forties, and she yeah. needs to be around for some of the ground, the grandchildren to be old enough for her to start enacting her plans. Like she's, she's going to need a boost, uh, basically. Yeah. Like just, yeah, yeah, um, um yeah. yeah. So Rose, uh, this, this chapter ends with Rose asking for more time from Eamon, uh, basically asking him to extend her life so that she can see and help her grandchildren, uh, kind of set this plan into motion because because of the oaths she swore, her children can't actually be a part of the practice so that's mm. that's a no-go um but she she also touches on uh barbatorum and carving out a reflection to help protect her heir um and this kind of gives us yes. finally the reveal of of who miros is yeah and i mean really like the reveal for us here like obviously uh, i think i've speculated to death that um exactly what rose was planning when when she presumably made miros and and now like it, it is to protect blake apparently mm. um i mean interestingly i'm still keen to see where molly fits into all of this like why why was molly first what what part of the plan was that in um like was rose just like oh maybe she'll have a shot i'll chuck her in there or, <laughs> or, or was or was it part was of there some... a marty that's molly's alternate <laughs> universe reflection helping her out but it just wasn't successful um yeah but uh I, like yeah i mean obviously with all the developments of uh, uh rose seemingly not being sorry miros not seemingly not being dependent on blake uh i had been leaning more and more to the idea that she was created to replace blake as the heir um but this would the phrasing here would seem to imply to me that that's not necessarily the case and so like i want to double down on the theory i had that that blake will die and 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 rose will be a part of of bringing him back uh, Mm. somehow so I guess I guess we'll lock that in as an official prediction. So an uh, fish prediction. So lock lock it in seven point one. Uh, it will be deconfirmed uh, as this <laughs> tradition. <laughs> what when Blake says I'm going to live forever? <laughs> yeah, how would look, that I, be I deconfirmed? <laughs> well, that's the thing. I'm I'm trying to create predictions that can't possibly be deconfirmed. That's nice. my secret plan. Solid. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's the end of this interlude. Uh, it ends with us kind of finding out a bit about who Rose is. Um, and I guess that's the end of this arc as well. Uh, so instead mm-hmm. of doing any kind of comment dive or anything this chapter, I think we should just talk about this arc as a whole. Uh, it's a long one. There's a lot to get into. Um, yeah. Let's start with subordination as a title. Uh, what are we? What 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 hidden meanings can we find about this <laughs> chapter title, Elliot? Yeah, I mean, obviously, like... So to be subordinate is to is to be like beneath or like uh, you know to have someone like controlling you or, or something. Uh, and obviously yeah. we have we have this whole chess game uh, that, that's going like with Blake and uh, Conquest having subordinates uh, who are going to war. I mean that's the the very obvious and literal interpretation yeah. of all yeah. of it. Um, I think also they are Blake and Laird are subordinates to fate, kind of trying to be escaping fate from you know their parents, grandparents, etc. Um, <clears throat> I mean, you've also got obviously Blake's cabal that he has just made, who you know are seemingly potentially subordinates to him. I don't know. Like, yeah, we'll we'll see. Uh, and then I, I also like Rose has her minions that she's been getting her 
who you know Blake is taking very personally <laughs> as, as, as substitute Blakes. Yeah. Um, you know, Blake and Rose are both sort of growing their camps, so to speak. Yes. Uh, so I think that's the the first definition of subordination, the one that I think will spring to mind for most people. The other one I took, want to talk about is the legal definition mm. here, which is an interesting one that I, uh, I that I think maybe comes into it, but I'm not quite sure how. Um, in debt repayment, subordinate clauses are basically priority of who gets repaid debt first, right? So if there's mortgages on a home, if that home gets foreclosed, the first mortgage lender, you know, is the first subordinate and has first dibs on the money from that home. And then the second mortgage lender gets the second dibs on the money. And, and so subordinate subordination in a legal term is kind of prioritization of, of debt repayment, I guess, to debtors. Yeah, it's... I'm not quite sure how it relates. I think I feel like there's something there, but I can't quite put I, it together. I, I think this one's harder because the that legal definition actually correlates a lot with just the the normal colloquial like use of the word. So mm. it's not as distinct as some of the other arcs where where we've had this discussion. Um, obviously, the whole thing related yep. to debt. Uh, it's hard hard not to type to like karmic debt in my head and and seeing how, she's I, I don't know. Like, there's the ordering of the heirs. So like Blake is. Blake yeah, and Rose's- that that's where my mind went um, as well. But it doesn't feel quite right. Y- yeah, I, I mean, Conquest has subordinated his control over everyone except the champions in the city. Um, mm. Like, I'm very much reaching here. Um, like, I'm, uh, uh, Blake's <laughs> friends have subordinated all of their own priorities to to join him in the war. Uh, fell to, uh, but no, I, I think I think it's just not as distinct uh, this arc as it has been in some of the others where the the legal term subordination maps so closely to how we use the general term. Uh, I just think, I just think there's overlap yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, I think the concept of debt is a obviously a pretty big theme <laughs> for this for this arc. Um, obviously, Blake makes Blake actually kind of perpetuates the cycle a bit here, right? In this chapter, um, he makes some subordinates. I guess some. He makes a cabal. Uh, that that now will kind of cause him to continue to incur karmic debt based off of their actions. Well, all he's got to do is make them karma positive, and and because I, I think mm. it's been said that you reap rewards as well. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but uh, it, it, no, it, I think so. I think it's it it really is a practitioner. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, so it scheme. is a it is a pyramid scheme. In which case, like. I mean, it's going to be tricky to do, considering he's a diabolist, and so they're a cabal. Uh, but if he <laughs> yeah. can keep the group karma positive, then uh, it'll it'll actually be an asset. Um, but yeah, just mm. sort of to bring to bring up the whole arc, I guess, and, and and do a bit of an arc summary. Like, I think from what I can see, like this was really an arc. It's all about dealing with like choosing your destiny or choosing your own path, not not taking the path that others are forcing on you. Um, and I think that ties into yeah. the concepts of subordination, like we were just talking about. Like, if someone is above you, ordering you, and all that sort of thing, you're not really free to choose your own path um, as a subordinate. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah. like we're seeing a lot of people make destiny-based decisions. Like Blake and all Blake's friends all just made a pretty permanent uh, commitment that has altered their life's trajectories. Um, all the stuff with like Rose yeah. and Isadora and destiny related to that is obviously like a big one. Um, yeah. Even yeah, some sure. even some little ones like Fell's hand being forced. He had a he had a plan and, and he's escaped his destiny for a bit. Um, you know, like he got he got to make that choice to stand against conquest uh explicitly for a little while. Um and obviously yeah. like all of that comes to a head in this interlude as it as it often does. I think these final interludes make it really easy, uh or make make it easier to try and figure out the arc themes because they usually encapsulate them <laughs> yeah, so to pull so, out all the themes and, like, and world war ii yeah. fits into that like the, the whole aemon being a, a soldier in world war ii i think fits into fits into all this yeah totally um i guess that's the end of our discussion of this uh of this chapter though of oh, not just this chapter this entire mm-hmm. arc um and what an arc it was <laughs> I, it, a very good oh, man i i love this a lot of things happen in this insubordination. I, I, I greatly yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah, whilst we sort of talked about, I think, right, sort of back at the start, assuming you count 6.11, uh, there was a bonus chapter every week, uh, this arc, which is just... Uh, <laughs> it was an intense yeah, one, which, wasn't uh, it? And I think that just really adds to that feeling of how mental it was. Uh, like, it's it's so yeah. much happened uh, in what was essentially four weeks. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's over now. Oh, thank gosh. We can get back to normal schedule for a bit. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, you know what I really liked about this is the theme of people choosing their own path and not just following a destiny that's ascribed to them, mm-hmm. Elliot. Now, if only there was a way for us to be involved in a discussion about another piece of media that also was about not just following your destiny and kind of choosing your I own actually, path. Do you know anything like that? I actually like did that? worry as I was originally typing out that thesis on Arc 6 if I was just still in Avatar mode from uh, from the recording on the Doofcast a few days ago. Avatar? What's that? <laughs> uh, yeah, so the, the Doofcast is covering season two of Avatar, and, and we obviously joined Matt and Scott again for that one. That was a lot of fun. Uh, so if you if yes. you are unfamiliar with Avatar, uh, first of all, watch watch it. Like, what are you doing? Uh, yeah. <laughs> second of all, uh, go check out the, the Doofcast episodes on it, because um, obviously uh, we're a bit biased, but I thought they were pretty good. <laughs> two of the best Doofcast episodes that they've ever been in, that, in my opinion <laughs> no yeah um so uh to find those you can you can check out the website for uh, the doof media network which is doofmedia.com um yeah if you enjoy the Doofcast, deep impact we've got ward or any of the other great uh parts of the doof media network head on over to patreon.com slash doof media and uh help keep the lights on and and help keep uh, us all creating and maybe even creating new stuff we'll see yeah uh the the avatar episode of the Doofcast explicitly only exists because of the doof patreon uh this show here implicitly only exists because of the doof patreon um so yeah uh, give give some money to the network and and help uh continue the creation of awesome content um that you must like if you're at the end of this what 55 minute episode <laughs> is this how long this is going to be oh, uh, no. Uh, yeah. But before we duck out, uh, we've also got to mention that Wildbo has a Patreon, patreon.com slash Wildbo. And obviously, you know, he, he's the reason that this podcast exists as, as much as, as we are, or even more than we are. Uh, so throw some money his way as well. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yes. Um, if you have any thoughts on Arc 6 or 6.x or any of the chapters we've been talking about, uh, please leave them in the discussion thread. I always love seeing people's comments and, and responding to them. Um that will be linked in the uh, description, the episode show notes of this episode, just down below in your podcatcher. Uh, yeah. And so apart from that, we'll see everyone on Wednesday. Oh, another bonus one. Uh, <laughs> another bonus. But I think the last one for a while. Oh, okay. uh, and that'll, anyway, that'll be 7.1, new arc. Uh, and that's, that's Wednesday, the 29th of May. And we'll see you then. <laughs>